everybody, this is Randy Shandabel, and you're listening to This Golden State. This is a week that many Californians dread. Trump Inauguration Week. And anti-Trump fever is especially contagious here in the ultra-liberal Bay Area. But just because most people in the Bay Area have caught resistance fever, that doesn't mean everyone is marching in lockstep. In fact, in some cities, it's anything but. Today, we look at the resistance in Oakland. We'll interview Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, a Democrat, and one of her harshest critics, Kat Brooks, who's an organizer in the Black Lives Matter movement and a founder of the Anti-Police Terror Network. Libby Schaff has been nothing but a friend of the police and an enemy of black and brown and marginalized people in the city of Oakland. Now, you might think Schaff and Brooks would be allies. They both promised to resist Trump's policies. They both say they want to protect Muslims, people of color, gays, lesbians, and undocumented immigrants. These are members of our community. They are not illegal aliens. They both say they want Oakland's renaissance to continue without Oakland being gentrified. Both want to keep it affordable. And they both say they want to see reforms in Oakland's troubled police department. As the mayor of Oakland... I am here to run a police department, not a frat house. When Libby Schaff was first elected two years ago, she was very popular, in part because she is so much more engaged and media-friendly than her two predecessors. But it's gotten tougher since. Sports teams are threatening to leave. There's an affordability crisis, continuing problems in the police department, the deadly Oakland warehouse fire, and most any time there's a demonstration against anything local or national, most Bay Area activists congregate in downtown Oakland, not San Francisco, San Jose, or Berkeley. The protests, including protests right after Trump won the election, sometimes get rowdy, some anarchy and vandalism. As for the police response, well, according to activists, police use way too much force. According to business owners, police aren't doing enough to protect storefronts. Let's start with Mayor Libby Schaff. But a quick note first, you'll hear some people talking in the background because we recorded these interviews during a resistance photo shoot for San Francisco Magazine. Their resistance issue is coming out next week. So Mayor Libby Schaff, you've got your hands full in Oakland. There's a lot of good things going on and a lot of crises going on. And now you have a President Donald Trump elected. What does that mean to you and what does that do to your job as mayor of Oakland? You know, it's it's another crisis. It's another complication. But there's a line through all of those issues, and that's resilience. How can we as a city make ourselves strong? strong so that we can withstand uh, not just the shocks of crises like an election of this man as president, like the most deadly fire that America has seen for more than a decade, but to reduce those stresses and strains on the residents that call Oakland home. Um, That is part of making us stronger because that is what helps us bounce back 
from these crises. Oakland, like other Bay Area cities, has uh, a high percentage of immigrants, and uh, obviously the president-elect has talked about deporting many of them. What is the city of Oakland prepared to do to help those immigrants, or are you thinking about helping those immigrants? Well, we immediately reaffirmed our absolute commitment to being a sanctuary city because these are our residents. Many of them have lived in our city since they were young children, have gone through our public school systems. Our children play with them. They, we sit next to them in the church pews. These are members of our community. They are not illegal aliens. And so it's a moment where, as mayors, we can reach out to other mayors and show them the tools that we've used to resist what we deem as immoral laws or illogical laws. We, we also are doing some very tangible things. We immediately had all of the immigration rights groups into my office to strategize about just an immediate response. And so we are looking at putting together a funding package, both from the city of Oakland, we're approaching Alameda County, and then we're reaching out to local philanthropy to really create universal representation in deportation hearings. People deserve that. So the city is prepared to allocate money to help some nonprofit defend immigrants. Yes, I can show you the detailed budget. We put together a, a very detailed proposal with um, defining all the partners that would be part of a rapid response team as well as the legal defense resources. And uh, the council is going to pass a resolution asking me to find $150,000 immediately within our budget. And, and that's a challenge because Oakland is not a wealthy city. But in reality, it's going to be more money than that, because if you do that, if you remain a sanctuary city, President Trump is threatening to cut funding to such cities. So we've already made an assessment of all the federal funding that we receive. Uh, a lot of it is past grants that we have gotten that are time limited. They're not ongoing funds. But there are some pretty significant ongoing funds for things like Head Start and, and meals for kids and homeless shelters. I mean, basic, basic human needs. Now, we still are waiting to see, A, whether he makes good on his threat, B, whether he's even legally able to do it, and C, whether he needs the cooperation of other branches of government in order to do this. Our hope is that to the extent this threat is real, it's going to focus more on discretionary grants around law enforcement. And that is something that we are prepared to live without, even though we've done very well from the federal government in the past. But we are, again, focusing on resilience, making ourselves independent, hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. But you do not plan to accommodate him to keep that funding? No. Absolute. We need to see exactly what comes ahead. I'm not going to predict what terrible things might befall us. What I am doing is being prepared to be as strong and independent as we possibly can be so that the community I represent can follow its values, its directive. And that is part of what I love about being an American and the American form of government because the American form of government does not give the president all the power. There are the other branches of government that check him. But more importantly, states 
and cities have tremendous independence and power. And this is a time that I believe California and Oakland are going to flex that power. At the end of the day, fierce compassion will win. Well, Libby Schaff certainly sounds progressive, as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. Some progressives don't like her at all. My name is Kat Brooks. I'm the co-founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project and a member of the Black Power Network. And Brooks is an organizer for the Black Lives Matter movement. And she hosts a talk show for KPFA Radio. So her ideas get out there. Now, before we hear her criticisms of Libby Schaff, and they're pretty harsh. Here's Kat Brooks on the resistance to Donald Trump. Our job now is twofold. One is to be a buffer between the the tyranny that uh, is Donald Trump and the people. And so that means keeping our eyes on what sorts of policies and practices are going to come down as a result of Trump administration and engaging in active resistance against that. It means protecting our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors. It means standing in the gap. It means putting our bodies and our lives on the line to ensure that, that folks have support as they navigate what is sure to be an incredibly difficult and scary time. The second piece of that, though, is also about, this is where we take a a page out of the book of our elders, particularly the Black Panther Party. We know that a Republican Congress, a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican President means a cut to social services. So we know that we're talking about the repeal of Obamacare. We know that we're going to lose, you know, uh, money for, for welfare, all those sorts of things. And so the call to action right now is really to figure out how we can empower our communities to provide those things for themselves. So getting back to uh, the law enforcement issue, even with President Obama, the first black president, there were far too many incidents of, of alleged police brutality. And now we're having a Donald Trump presidency. So do you expect things, relations between police and communities of color to get worse than they already are? Or do you think that doesn't change? So I, I want to go back to the use of the word alleged, right? It's not alleged that that cop shot Walter Scott in the back. We watch that. It's not alleged that Tamir Rice was gunned down in the park for doing nothing. So I just I want us to be careful with our use of language. I certainly understand, and uh, I, I'm a journalist, so I have to be careful with my words. I'm a revolutionary, so I have to be careful with mine too, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm held accountable, you know, by the people. So um, I want to start by saying that policing can't, it's not something that can be reformed. It's not broken. Policing was born out of slave patrols. It's not as if we were going along and the system was working well for black people or brown people and then all of a sudden something went awry and now we can somehow go back and fix it, right? That's not what's happening here. Since its inception, police have been in an uh, antagonistic position as it relates to people of color and particularly black people in this country. What Donald Trump's presidency means is that they feel more emboldened, right? They were his largest supporters. He's promised to return to law and order. So what I do think we can expect is that policing to become more intense, for there to be even less accountability at the federal level than there already is. I think for our immigrant brothers and sisters, we're looking at an emboldened ICE, right? And and he's promised the, the deportation of three million folks. The only way you do that is through brutal police and policing. So I definitely think that we can think we can expect things to escalate. In recent years, Black Lives Matters has have made a lot of headlines. But with Donald Trump coming in as president, most of the public anxiety, most of the public angst, the worry is more immediately for Latino immigrants, for Muslim immigrants, for gays and lesbians, for climate change. Are you concerned 
that your movement, that your concerns will be put on a back seat, will be kind of lost because there's a, these, these more immediate threats to other people the vulnerable. The conversation that's happening in the progressive community is that all of our struggle is tied together because our liberation is tied together. We're not playing oppression Olympics amongst each other. Black folks are saying we're going to stand in solidarity with Muslim folks are saying we're going to stand in, in solidarity with undocumented immigrants. The only way that we win, the only way that we protect the people, right, you know, thoroughly, is, is if we're, we're unified. And what we actually see Donald Trump's presidency as being is an opportunity for us to more strategically and tactically unite to fight white supremacy as a whole. Donald Trump is a symptom of the disease of white supremacy that's been infecting this country since its, in, its inception. So I would imagine that this is a, a very delicate time for, for your cause. You need the cooperation of city and state leaders to help you deal with Donald Trump to some extent. But you'll be reaching out to some of the same leaders you would be reaching out for help from people that you've been criticizing recently for enabling police brutality. So I don't know that in my worldview framework that I need the help of elected officials. There's an expectation of elected officials to do what's right by the people who put them in office. There's an expectation that elected officials don't allow police to brutalize, murder, rape, terrorize communities of color. That's a rational expectation. And our promise to elected officials is that if they fail to stand in that gap, if they fail to protect the rights of the people, we will come see them. They're not going to get away with just doing nothing while people are being murdered in the streets. And so that's why I say I don't know that I'm saying I'm going to say that my work is dependent upon cooperation with elected officials. I actually, I'm not saying it's dependent, but cooperation would help, would it not? It would help if they stood in the gap and they held law enforcement accountable, right? At the same time, we've been begging for liberation. We've been begging for white supremacy to take its boot off our neck for hundreds and hundreds of years. After some trouble during a recent anti-Trump uh, protest after his election, you said of the police, uh, and I'm going to quote your words, this is censorship at the hands of Libby Schaff and OPD. We do not accept or acknowledge the fascist regime of Donald Trump or Libby Schaff, nor do we recognize the authority of her Gestapo, otherwise known as the Oakland Police Department. O OPD. I sure yeah. did say you're, that. you're saying that about Libby Schaff? I am saying that about Libby Schaff. Libby Schaff, since her time in office, has been nothing but a friend of the police and an enemy of black and brown and marginalized people in the city of Oakland. Let's start with the fact that she spent her entire first day in office in the middle of an international movement against police terror. That woman spent from 6 a.m. to midnight with the police department, not with education advocates, not with housing advocates, not with you know people that are doing work for the benefit of the community, with the police department. In 2015, the Oakland Police Department murdered, and I'm using murdered, seven black men, one of whom was asleep in his car at two o'clock in the morning. Libby Schaff at every single turn stood by them. In May of that same year, when there was a national call for black women to stand up and say, end the war on the bodies of black women, and there were black women and children in the streets of Oakland, she utilized that as an opportunity to increase the repression of the Oakland Police Department, try to put in a bogus policy that said we couldn't be in the streets, and allowed the police to brutalize us. Those nights of those Donald Trump protests, the mainstream media can twist it all that they want to, but the reality is, at the behest of Libby Schaff, they initiated the violence, they initiated the brutality. There were children, disabled, differently abled people, and they tear gassed us. I have not seen levels of that type of violence since the Occupy movement, which I want to remind your listeners, cost the city millions and millions and millions of dollars. And don't get me started on her policies around selling off Oakland piece by piece to developers while black and brown and poor people are being pushed out at, races, at, at rates that can be considered nothing else but a crisis and an epidemic. People are being pushed out of their homes and having to sleep in their cars. There is nothing humane, progressive, there's nothing humane or progressive about the Libby Schaff administration. And I'm not the only person that feels that way. At, a, at the vigil that happened the other night about the, the tragedy that we are going through in Oakland right now, she was booed off the stage. 
she doesn't speak for us. She doesn't speak for the poor. She doesn't speak for people of color. She doesn't care about us. She speaks for those people that live up in the hills that have no idea. The Two and a half million dollars, was it two million dollars in youth jobs funding that she failed to apply for, even though everybody knows and have known forever that in the summer, when youth don't have jobs, violence increases. So one of the programs that works across the country is to ensure that young youth of color have jobs. What does she do? Oh, she just doesn't apply. What happens? We have a bloodbath in the streets of Oakland. A bloodbath. And her answer to that is not more programs, it's more police. So yes, I will continue to criticize her and, and, and push her and hold her accountable for the crimes that she's committing against black and brown and poor people in Oakland. So this gets to a, a, a difficulty in the whole kind of overriding resistance to what people fear the Donald Trump administration will mean to Californians. I understand your complaints. They're not mine, they're the communities. I also understand that Libby Schaff thinks of herself, at least she advertises herself, as a friend of people of color and their communities. That's what she says. So if your organization and people like Libby Schaff can't agree or can't get along, I would think at some level you need to be allies. Is there any attempt by your group or by her to kind of communicate with each other to get past this so that you could unite in preventing some of the things that are coming our way from the Trump administration? So two things. I already explained to you that our organization operates in three arenas, right? Reform, reactive, and revolutionary. We've got folks that are working inside City Hall, that are working on policies, that are trying to work with elected officials. But I take umbrage with the word allies. She's not an ally. She's not An ally is someone who's going to lay down their life for, for, for me and my people. An ally is someone who puts the issues that we're most concerned about front and center. She is not an ally. She's never been an ally to people of color. I do expect her to do her job. Her job is to protect the most marginalized, vulnerable people in the city of Oakland, and that is what she is failing to do. So our job, actually, is to increase, uh, uh, to build as much pressure as we possibly can, both inside the halls of City Hall and in the streets of Oakland, to make sure that woman does her job. So a mayor is always going to be criticized, because whether or not someone knows who I am, anything about me personally, I am the face of authority. I am the face of government. And it is absolutely justified for people to be angry and recognize that government has harmed people. And government has particularly harmed particular communities. And so I represent that history of harm. And that's part of my job is to hear that anger, to do my best to understand that history and make up for it, to work hard to undo the biased uh, systems, practices, institutions that are ingrained in government and build trust and transform what I believe should be our collective best selves. That's what government should be. But it's fair that people are angry because it hasn't always been. So in, in your heart, you feel you share some of her same concerns or most of her concerns. I do. I believe that um, we both want justice. We both want a, a moral and good society, which means a moral and good government. Um, I am a person from the inside uh, that is working to transform government. Um, but there is always going to be pressure from the outside and calls for, you know, revolution. And that's the beautiful balance that we have, particularly here in the Bay Area. This may be an unfair question, but to some degree, maybe your looks work against you. You're blessed with being a good-looking woman. You dress well. You're white. It looks like you have a fair amount of money. 
in the eyes of some people, how could you be on their side? I'm just wondering, do you, do you have to fight your own image somewhat? You know, I haven't really thought about that. In my mind, I'm an Oaklander. I'm a girl that was born and raised and have the incredible honor and privilege of having been elected to lead my hometown, the city that I have been passionately in love with all my life. And I hope that that is the first thing people see when they look at me. There's a fighter inside that body. I am a fighter. You've got to be a fighter to take on this job. But I hope that I am a fighter for compassion because that is how we have to go forward in this moment. There are so many forces, particularly because of this presidential election, that are driving us to being polarized. Even us liberals, there is polarization going on, and I want to try and bring people together. I want to help people see their own stories in each other. I believe that that is going to be the best way for us to move forward. Final question. If it actually comes to federal agents coming into the city to deport immigrants, are confrontations possible? What do you think would happen? What can the city do other than offer legal help to slow that process down or stop it from happening? Again, my first focus is on making this city strong and independent. That alone is resistance. Will we fight? That is something that we as a community will have to come together and decide whether that makes sense for us. But I believe that when you're strong, you can avoid the direct confrontation and be strong enough to avoid people coming to fight you. And California is a very strong state and the Bay Area is a very strong economy. Strong state, strong economy, and according to election results, unified as well. The Bay Area voted more anti-Trump than any other area in America. You know, there's this famous quote from Aristotle, a common danger unites even the bitterest enemies. Well, maybe most of the time, but not necessarily in Oakland. You can subscribe to This Golden State on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and find us on San Francisco Magazine's website as well. If you like us, spread the word. Any comments or ideas, shoot me an email to Shandeville at Shandeville.com. That's S-H-A-N-D-O-B-I-L. Thanks for listening.